Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us together as your people. We acknowledge your greatness and your goodness, your faithfulness, your loving kindness. We acknowledge your patience with us, Lord. We ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us in our inner being. That you would guide us, Father, in our thought life, but most of all in our actions, Lord. That we would follow you, Jesus. For many people acknowledge you, but not many follow you, God. So, Lord, we pray, have mercy on us and guide us in your way. For we acknowledge our ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high your ways and your thoughts are above our ways and our thoughts. So we ask that you'd help us to trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways to acknowledge you. And you are the one who will make straight our paths. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ did not come to avoid the mess. He came to walk straight into the middle of our mess. He came to get messy emotionally, physically, relationally, and socially. And if we follow him, we're going to get messy too. Now, some of you are saying, Jeff, I got enough mess of my own. Yes, that's true. You do. And you can't even straighten out your own mess, more or less the mess of others. But if you're going to follow Jesus, get this straight. Life is going to be messy. How many of you love running straight into the middle of a mess? Got a couple people. We got to talk afterwards. I'm... <laughs> but if you want to dream God's dreams, you're going to have to get messy. I'm not talking about the dreams you had as a kid. Those dreams probably were great dreams. And if you dream of being a fire engine chief or a you know Indian chief or whatever it is you feel you you know you felt dreamed about, I'm talking about God-sized dream. I'm talking about God-given vision. I'm talking about dreams that change the world, that change people's lives. I'm talking about being God's ambassador. I'm talking about being an agent for Christ Jesus. I'm talking about representing the one who is love. And many years ago, we had a gentleman who's a prayer walker come and visit us as elders. And he walks the entire East Coast in prayer. He walks hundreds of miles just praying for the kingdom of God. I didn't know this guy from anybody. His name is Calvin. And Calvin stopped by the office one day and he asked to see me and the elders and we just so happened to be in. And he gave us this staff. He'd been praying for Grace Fellowship Church. And on one side of the staff, he burned in the words, Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury, PA, loving God and fulfilling his dreams. On the other side, he wrote, the Lord is our shepherd. We are complete, lacking nothing. This morning as I kneeled down to pray, which I usually do back in my office before I come out here, because frankly you people are a little scary. (laughs) I have a little kneeling pad right next to my drum that I made, and I put my face on that drum, and I put my message on there, and I cry out to God, and I say, God, I can't, but you can. I'm going to trust you again. And I commit you to the Lord because he loves you so much. He just loves you so much. And I put my hand on this staff this morning because it was hanging there. It's been hanging there for years. I don't know why. I just put my hand on it, and he said, bring it out. So I just felt a little shepherdly this morning. And I realized Calvin made this specifically to fit, because this thing fits exactly around my neck. 
He must have measured my neck because seriously, this thing couldn't get any. It's like a custom fit by Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, he says this, you are going to be taken to places where you do not want to go. He says things like you got to give up your life to have it. If you want to keep your soul, you have to give it away. You're going to be taking places you do not want to go. And can I tell you, this message today is rocking my world because he's taking me places I do not want to go. And you know why I don't want to go there? Because I still have a flesh. And you know what? My flesh is selfish to the core. Not one of us here today are without being touched by sin's deceitfulness. And every single one of us here today, we struggle with being self-centered, and if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to die to ourselves in order to see God glorified. And that does not come easily to you and I. If we're going to dream God-sized dreams, we have to follow Jesus because he is the world changer. And I'm going to tell you today that it's very simple. Jesus gives you a very simple understanding of what it means to follow him. I didn't say it was easy. Matter of fact, it's impossible apart from God in your life, but I have good news for you. If you're in Christ Jesus, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Can you say that with me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. Listen to Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who then can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know right now that Jesus Christ is interceding for you? He's crying out to God the Father on your behalf because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 So Lord, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need. We lack nothing for life and godliness in you. Lord, thank you that you have called us to join you on mission. The greatest adventure one could ever enter into is right before us now. It's living life for your kingdom, for you are the king and we are your people. God, help us not just to talk about you. As a matter of fact, help us to maybe stop doing that so much. Help us to follow you, God. Help us to know you, God, not just believe in you, but know you. Not just to rattle off things about you, but to be consumed with your love in such a way that we live our lives on mission. And then we reach more and more with this life-changing message of freedom in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to set the captives free. And if you set someone free, we are free indeed. Help us to not use our freedom for ourselves, but for your kingdom, for your glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you've been with us. You know that we're in this series called Growing Deeper Still. We're actually ending this series today. And, you know, this has been our main scripture. We've been called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And we've looked at these four verbs, resting, risking, formed, and found. And today we're in found once again. We, we started in found last week, but today we're continuing in found. And today we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. But if I were to ask you a question, what's the most important thing about you? What is the, the single most important thing about you in your life? What would you say? That I love Jesus, love God. Most people would say love God, right? We were created to love God. You were not put on earth just to cross off things on your to-do list. You were put on earth to know God and to love God back, that you would allow his love to come to you and that you would love him back, that you would love God. That's the most important thing about you. But what if someone came to you and said, what's the second most important thing about your life? What's the second most important thing about you? How would you answer that question? See, this question was posed to Jesus several times throughout his time here on planet Earth. He said to him, he said, Lord, what is the greatest command? Now, we're going to look at this passage in Matthew, and then we're going to look at Luke, which is a similar passage. But in Matthew, it says clearly, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, stop. The Sadducees are a bunch of religious people. The religious people of the time don't like Jesus. Why? He's not fitting in their box. All religious people create boxes to put God in. And they say, God is like this and he will not go outside of my box. I've determined who God is. Now, how many of you have ever struggled with a religious spirit? If you're in Christ, raise your hand. we're assuming upon God. We're saying that we know exactly what God's like and he's not going to defy our logic and our understanding of him. Can I tell you something? I've been following Jesus now for close to 30 years in my life and I know about this much about God. About this much. I don't even know that much. Maybe one-tenth of one-tenth of one-tenth of that much about God. And God's, God's infinite wisdom and who he is fills the universe and I don't even know that much, dude. Not much! And look, we have to humble ourselves before God and say, like, God, you don't fit in my box readily, but religious people like to put God in their box, and they say, well, God's like this, and if you're not like that, well, then obviously you can't say you love God. So if you don't dress like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't chew like me, no, I didn't say that, but if you don't, if you don't do things that are on the Christian script, then, you know, you're not with God. And I got, a, I got an honest confession to you. I think we're all going to get to heaven and we're going to be really surprised, don't you think? I think we're going to be looking like, you're here? How'd that happen? And Jesus might go, oh no, he was ahead of you. I, I just think we're going to be really surprised at how, how foolish we were. But, you know, the second most important thing about you is answered in this scripture. So this dude, this religious guy, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, he'd love to do that. The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. They wanted to trap Jesus. Now, how smart is it to try and trap the one who created the entire universe? There's, like, no wisdom in that whatsoever, but they don't know who he is. And so they're trying to trap him because they want to try and kill him, which ultimately is what he came to do, die for us. People are coming to him. People are coming to Jesus, but you know they're not the religious people. 
You know, they're not the highly educated people. They're not the kings of the world. You know who's coming to him? The broken, the busted up, the poor, the impoverished, those who know they are desperate and are seeking hope and life from God. Those are the people that are clinging to Jesus. They're running to him in the thousands. And frankly, it's ticking these guys off because they can't control him. So they say these questions and they're like, let's try and trap them. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now you got to understand something. A Hebrew would answer the way that Jesus is going to answer, but they had hundreds of laws. And they're trying to test him in such a way that he steps out of line and says the wrong thing, and then they'll have a reason to string him up. Jesus replied, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets are all summed up in these two commandments. I love Jesus. He just makes things so simple. He says, love God and love people. That sums up the entire Bible. How many of you ever use cliff notes? Remember that in college? I don't know if they're around anymore, but when I was in college, you know, the teacher would like in, in literature assign for us in the beginning of the semester to read the Iliad or read the Odyssey or read like Crime and Punishment. Do I have to ask you? And these are not small tomes. These are big books. And what would I do? Of course, wait till three days before the test. <laughs> and I'd be looking at the Iliad and I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. He's like, dude, it's your fault. <laughs> but then I would run out and I would go to the bookstore and I would buy something called Cliff Notes. And cliff notes were this, you take this big volume and some dude would summarize it all and put it in a volume like about that big. And I could read that in three hours and get ready for the test and at least hopefully get a C. And that's all I really cared about because I was a music major and music majors didn't care about the Iliad. <laughs> so Jesus gives the cliff notes version of the Bible. He says, you want to know what life's all about? Life's all about relationships. And it's all about God. It's all about love, and it's all about people. And if you can keep that in mind, you'll understand that life's not about accomplishments. It's not about being famous. It's not about your achievements. It's not about your acquisitions. He summed up the entire law and the prophets in two commands. He said, love the Lord God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Stop. A lot of people go, oh, well, that means I have to learn to love myself. Ah! That's not what that means. Can I tell you what that means? It's, it's summarized in this thing called the golden rule. Do unto others. Very good class. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Look, the person that you're thinking about the vast majority of time on planet Earth is sitting in your seat. It's you. You think about you all the time. How do I know this? I'm here too. And I've talked enough of you to know. When you come to me with, for help with your marriage, you want me to fix your husband. Why? Because he's not serving you. When you come to me again, you to fix your wife. Why? Because she's not serving you. And here's, here's this spot of sinfulness in all of us. All of us want life to rotate around us. And life does not rotate around us. Life rotates around God and his glory. And many things are up for grabs with him. But his job is not one of them. He is God, he is to be glorified, and he knows what's right and what's true, and I don't. 
And we need to humble ourselves before God. So what we do, he says, look, love me because I already love you. Know my love. Let it come to you, Jeff, and let it move through you. And then my kingdom will come in your life, and then I will be glorified. And more and more will know that I love them, and that I am king of all the earth and all the heavens, that I created everything, and that everybody here on planet earth is made for me. Let me ask you a question. I want you to bring to mind the most loving person around you. I want you to bring to mind a person that you go, oh my gosh, like that person is the most loving person I've ever known. Like they really are. Like it doesn't take too long to do this. I did this in our house church this past week and we were talking about the people, some of them here at Grace, who are like the most loving people we've ever met. You know, one of the persons I brought up was a young man who has Down syndrome. (laughs) You ever been around someone who has the gift of Down syndrome? Oh my gosh. The fact that people, I'm sorry, would think about murdering that child in the womb because of that specialty? That's unbelievable to me. You know why? Those people are some of those beautiful people on the face of the earth. You know why? They love to hug people. They love to love people. I was around this dude for years that had Down syndrome. He smiled more than anybody else I know. He hugged me more than anybody else I know. He loved me more than anybody else I know. I said, Jesus, I want to be like him. He just simply loved people. He didn't get caught up in the things of the world. None of that held any allure to him. Here's a better question I have for you. What would it take in your life to become the people around you, to become for the people around you the most loving person they know? You have people, how many people have, how many here have people around them? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> what would it take for you to become the most loving person that other people know? You say, Jeff, a lot of work. (laughs) Jesus is up to the task. He loves to turn people's lives around. And this question about the most important thing about you being about loving God and loving people, that's what life is all about. That's Jesus. And he says, look, I'm going to show you what it's like to love people through this story called the Good Samaritan. So if you want, you can turn there. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. And I love Jesus. He's just so incredible the way that he interacts with me today and the way that he interacts with people through the scripture. And this is one of the most famous stories that's ever been told in the scripture. Uh, You know, there's thousands of hospitals all around the world that have been named after the story Good Samaritan Hospital, right? We have a Good Sam right down in Baltimore, right? And so the story's been retold in films and books all over the world. And we cannot underestimate its importance. So we're going to listen in now. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Jesus said, bingo. He says, you got it, dude. And then he says something really profound. Do this and you will live. Now that is Jesus preaching law. Because law is taking a standard and putting it on people that they can't fulfill. Why is the law preached? So that people would come to conviction of their sin and turn to their Savior. So he says to this dude, hey, you got it right. Now just do this and you live. And this dude has every opportunity to turn to Jesus with tears streaming down his face and say, I can't. 
I can't do it, Lord. And he'd go, you're right, you can't, but I can. Just let me live in you. Just let me live in you. But this dude doesn't do that. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The man wanted to justify himself. Imagine standing before the living God and trying to justify yourself. Well, God, you see that you allow that little defense attorney to come up out of your heart that says my client is really not all that bad. And you let that little defense attorney kind of start to talk and maybe even ask the question. And this guy says, who's my neighbor? Now look, he's looking for a loophole. He's saying inside, I don't want to love people that are different than I am. I don't want to love people who hurt me. I don't want to love people who don't love me back. I don't want to love people who look this way. I don't want to love people from that side of town. I don't want to love these people. I just want to love the people I want to love. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? And can I tell you something? The truth about us is that we don't want to love people who don't love us either. We don't want to love people who hurt us. You know how I know that? It's because the stain of sin is left on every human heart, and inside we are self-centered. And God says, if you want to live for my kingdom, if you want to be my representative, you have to die to yourself so that you can live. So I love Jesus. You know, this guy says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus knows his heart. He knows he wants to justify himself. He knows he's looking for a doable. So Jesus does what? He tells a story. He goes, okay, it's story time. Sit down, everybody. A man was going down from Jericho to, um, Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a mountain road coming down when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, who's a religious dude, happened to be going down the, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who was a religious dude, When he came to the place, the scripture says, he actually looked at him and then passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any additional expense you may have. Jesus says, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus tells us there's three men that come upon a crime scene. This is a crime scene. This guy has been attacked by bandits. This hill going down was known for attacks because it had all these kind of bends in the road and little crevices where thieves could hang out, criminals could hang out, and they could attack unsuspecting people from behind. You know, if you're going down a hill, it's much easier to get momentum if you want to attack somebody from the backside. And so this place was known for that. It was known for criminal activity, and this is a crime scene. This guy was beat up, stolen from, left half naked, and, or actually naked and half dead. So let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest criminal? Who's the greatest criminal to ever live? You know his name? 
Satan. Yeah, it's not a trick question. You're right. You got it. Satan. Satan is the greatest criminal to ever live. And do you know the scripture says he has three crimes that he's called to perpetuate? Do you know what they are? Somebody is to steal, kill, and destroy. Say that. Steal, kill, and destroy. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I would have come that they might have life and life abundantly, Jesus says. So I want you to know something. Everybody sitting around you is a crime scene. You know why? Because everybody in this room has been impacted deeply by the evil one. Everybody in this room has been wounded by sin. Everybody in this room is a crime scene. Turn to the person next to you and say, nice to meet you, crime scene. Now look, I got to tell you, if you learn to see people as crime scenes, you'll see them the way that God sees them. Because everybody is wounded. Everybody has been hurt here on planet Earth. Now, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can't be killed or destroyed anymore. Why? Because we're going to be home with Jesus forever in heaven. But we can be stolen from. We can have the enemy steal our joy, steal our hope, steal our peace, steal the awesome riches in our lives. Why? By blinding us to the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. So everybody around you is the scene of a crime. And, you know, these guys represent three attitudes, three attitudes that any single one of us can have on any given day. And by the way, most of us go through all three within the context of one day. So as I talk about these, don't sit back and go, oh, I'm the Good Samaritan all the time. No, you're not. There's only one who was the Good Samaritan all the time. His name is Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, I can go through these three attitudes in one day. I can flip back and forth between them. So... This first guy, we know this about him. There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him up, leaving him with half dead. It just so happened, the scripture says. I want you to circle that, underline that highlight that just so happened. We're going to come back to that in a little while. It just so happened that a priest was coming down the road, and when he saw that man, he walked by on the other side. I got three possible attitudes towards the people in my life. The ones I work with, my neighbors, the ones I live with, <coughs> the ones I go to school with. The first thing I can do is keep my distance. And this is called avoidance. It's the attitude of avoidance. There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Look, down this road, it was literally coming down a mountain. It was a mountainous road with many curves, easy for robbers and thieves and gangs to hide out in little crevices. And you know, there is an elevation change from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was not a safe place to be in Israel. And this guy's doing this road. He's coming down there. He gets attacked from behind more than likely, beat up, and they steal his clothes. Look, <clears throat> now they only steal your clothes if you like have this great pair of Nikes and Armani or something going on. Then they would steal your clothes. Why? Because clothes were valuable. Clothes were super valuable. Just so happened that a priest was going down that road, and when he saw that man, he walked by on the other side. This is the lifestyle of avoidance. This guy sees someone hurt, and he just walks on by. He ignores him. He walks by on the other side so he doesn't have to get too close. He keeps his distance. Out of sight, out of mind. Now, can I tell you something? I really think this is why we have beltways. You know, right about 30 minutes down the road there, we got a place called Baltimore. Anybody think Baltimore's a problem? You think it's in trouble? I love Baltimore. I came to the Lord in Baltimore. I love that city. Can I tell you something? That city's in trouble. The city's in trouble. 
There's a very there's deep pot. Can I tell you up in York up there? There's some trouble up in York. You know, can I tell you why people want to go around the cities? They want to go around the cities because they don't want to go through the pain, man. Some of you are, oh, no, no, it's just traffic flow. No, can I tell you this is the truth? We choose beltways in our lives all the time. It's a very common lifestyle. How many of you have an electric garage door opener? Okay, so can I tell you, um, you know, those of us who use those things, I understand why they're there. They're nice and convenient all in the winter, but you know they're like airlocks, don't you think? Chris previous said this in an elder meeting this week, but like they're like an airlock. Like you can actually just kind of get into your home and drop this door behind you without seeing anybody in your neighborhood. Isn't that awesome? You can just drive in and you don't have to say hi to Frank because Frank's been there for 20 years and you really don't know anything about him. But frankly, you'd prefer just to get into your house and crawl into your hobbit hole. I mean, hobbits are more friendly than we are. They had the shire. I mean, they were out all the time. They loved their holes, but they loved being together with each other. So often, we get so detached from the people around us, and we practice this, this, this attitude of avoidance. And it says, I'm going to keep my distance from you because I don't have enough time, enough strength, enough whatever it is. You fill it in. I'm going to stay avoidant. The second attitude is seen in the second traveler. And this is, I can be curious but uninvolved. Listen, in the same way, a Levite also came there. He went over and looked at the man, and then he walked by on the other side. Now, this guy is worse than the first. By the way, a Levite is not a gene salesman. I just want you to know that. (laughs) A Levite is a temple assistant, so this guy is also a religious guy. The first guy is a religious guy, and the second guy is a religious guy. Listen to me. Religion does not make you loving. Religion does not make you loving. Relationship with God makes you a lover. You can be religious, you can go to service every week of your life, and you can never love your neighbor as yourself. These guys are dressed in the robes of self-righteousness, and they do nothing when they see someone in pain. Nothing. This guy's even worse than the priest. The guys start naked and beaten up. What he does is he walks over, he looks at the dude, and then he actually walks back to the other side and just keeps going. And you go, oh, well, I would never do that. Ah, you do it all the time. How do I know that? Rubbernecking. On the freeway. You're driving down the freeway. Oh, honey, stop, slow down. What happened? Oh, it looks horrible. Oh, my gosh, what happened? What happened? You're slowing down. You're looking at, oh, oh, Jesus, protect those people, and you just keep driving right on by. Everybody wants to stare, and no one wants to stop. Everybody loves staring at other people's pain, but most nobody wants to stop. We love to look at other people's pain. We love to gossip about other people's pain. We love to talk to other people about other people's pain. We love to read about it. How do I know that? We had these magazines, these stellar journalistic things on the checkout counters at the grocery store called the National Enquirer and the Star and People Magazine, and they're filled with people's pain, scandals, struggles, all kinds of difficulties and afflictions. And we love to read about these things. You know, how many of you used to love soap operas? Come on, raise your hand with me. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Guiding Light was my show. Back in college, Days of Our Lives. No, that's for wimps. Guiding Light. <laughs> As the World Turns was pretty good too, though. 
But in college, we used to watch this together. We'd be in class. What happened? What happened? What happened? And I can't miss it today. Oh my gosh, Philip's going to have to go through this, right? And so if, it, if I missed it, please tell me what happened with Philip. You know, and, and there's these tidbits of other people's pain, even if it's fictitious. Why? It makes us feel good about us. So we talk about people's pain. We read about it. We gossip about it. We love to stare at it, but we hate to stop. If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to stop. This guy stares, but he doesn't stop. The third attitude is that I can let God work through me to love others the way that I want to be loved, to treat others the way that I want to be treated, to do unto others what I would have them do unto me. This is the golden rule. So you know this. You know how you want to be treated in your marriage. So just treat your spouse that way. You know how you want to be treated by your kids, so treat your parents that way. You know how you want to be treated in the workplace, so you treat your fellow workers that way. See, that's what it's about. It's about dying to yourself and saying, God, I'm going to follow you and be a lover of other people, the people in your neighborhood. You can treat them the way that you want to be treated. The people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you deal with at the grocery store. My gosh, that checker, that precious checker who's used to dealing with hundreds of people coming through and throwing money at them and putting pressure on them to go faster, faster, faster. Can you stop for a minute and by the grace of God, treat them the way that you would want to be treated? Anywhere you go, how about your spouse, your kids, your parents? You can treat them the way that you want to be treated. How? By trusting God. And by following Jesus and by praying, you can't do it in your own strength, but you can do it in the strength of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You can choose by the grace of God to treat others the way that you want to be treated. You can do that today. You don't have to wait. You can do that today. Or you can just keep your distance. Or you can be curious but uninvolved. Now the Bible says a Samaritan was traveling that way came upon the man. And when he saw him, his heart was consumed with pity. I I love Jesus. He loves to turn the tables on people. He's talking to religious people here. He's just made these two religious guys the scorn of the story. And now what he does is he picks the most despised person to be the hero of the story. I love Jesus. A Samaritan was somebody who was half Jewish. They were a mixed-race people. They weren't the kind of full-blooded Jews. They lived in Israel, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They despised them. The vast majority of Jews were racially prejudiced against the Samaritans. The Jews were bigots against the Samaritans. And what does Jesus do? He takes the guy who everybody thinks is half-human, half-citizen, not worthy of respect, and he makes them the hero of the story. I love Jesus Christ. Don't you? Amen. He takes the despised, radically rejected person, ethically rejected person, and he says, this is a guy who really showed love. You want to tick off religious people? This is the kind of stuff you do. Now, why does Jesus tick off religious people? Because he loves them. Because he loves them. He wants to stir them up in such a way that they acknowledge him and fall on their faces before them. Matthew 7, 12 says, always treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. And if you're going to have a reputation as being one of the most loving people that people know, you're going to have to learn to love people in this way. 
All right, so how do we do that? How do we love people in this way? The first thing is we see what they need. Say this, love begins with looking. Say that, love begins with looking. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, look out for the good of others. Galatians 6, 7, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, harvests the crops of weeds. Friends, there are wounded people all around you. They're sitting in your row. They're sitting in your seat. There are people who are wounded physically, financially, wounded emotionally, wounded intellectually, wounded relationally. They were wounded by their parents, wounded by a betrayal, wounded by grief. There are wounded people all around you. And if you don't see him, if you don't see the wounds, you have to ask the question, why? And I will tell you in one phrase why you're not seeing people's woundedness is because you've lost your sensitivity. The heart of God is a sensitive heart. The eyes of God are sensitive eyes. They see the need. God sees the deepest need. Why isn't you don't see it? It's not because you don't care. It's probably not because you're hard-hearted, although there are some hard-hearted people amongst us. The number reason, one reason why you don't see the needs of people around you is summed up in one word, busyness. We're just too busy. We're too distracted. We're too consumed with the things of this world to actually stop and look. If you want to actually love people well, you have to trust Jesus to slow down and look. You must. Tracy and I, when we were first married in our first year, did something that everybody told us not to do. We bought a brand new car. It was a Toyota Corolla. I think it was at 2007. How long ago was that? No, it was, no, it was much longer ago than that. We were married 27 years ago. Uh, I'll do my math later. But the <laughs> point was we bought a brand new Toyota Corolla. It was a 93. All right, anyway. Anyway, brand new Toyota Corolla. And we got in it. And the next day, we drove it across country. Everybody says, don't do that. We did it. Breaking a new car slowly. No, we drove all the way out to the West Coast in Bryce Canyon, did all this stuff. Drove everywhere else. You know why? We wanted to see this beautiful country. Do we not have a beautiful country? Do we not have a great country? This country is so beautiful. So beautiful. Now look, if I wanted to take my kids on a trip to see the country, how wise would it be for me to throw them in a 747? <laughs> Come on, guys, we're going to go see the country, and we're flying from Dallas Airport to LAX, and then it's going to take three hours, and then three hours later, we're, dry, we're flying back. You're going to get to see the country. And so we come back after six hours of flying, and go, how is the country? And they go, what are you talking about? Well, you saw the country, and they're like, no, we didn't. I said, didn't you look out the window? No, we didn't see it. Why? We were going too fast. Going too fast. If you want to see the country, the best way, one of the best ways you can do it is car, maybe train. Hey, I'll tell you the best way to see the country, ride a bicycle. Ride a bicycle from here all the way to California and back. You know what? There are people that literally walk and run this entire country. And you know what? I think they know the country better than anybody else. You know why? They get to be with people. They stop and they slow down and they meet people all along the way. Why? Because they're slow. Listen, the slower you go, the more you see. Say that after me. The slower I go, the more I see. Say it again. The slower I go, the more I see. So you have to slow down. I've had opportunities this week to sit with a number of people. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes I sit with people and I don't want to. It's just something inside of me is like, I got things to do. Ah. 
And then when I trust Jesus and I sit with people, I get a chance to slow down and to listen to what God is saying to me. Now, some of you are saying, well, what happens when somebody needs something and it's really different than what they want? There's a lot of people talking about enabling and the fear of enabling in our culture. And that and fear of enablement or the enablement can be real. But, you know, I think a lot of us use that as an excuse just not to stop and help. Well, I don't really want to enable them. Well, let me tell you something. Here's the first thing. Nobody truly knows what other people need except God. God is the only one who knows what people truly need. So you must practice listening to Him. You must practice listening to Him because when you meet a person who has a need and they're all around you, you have to ask Him, God, what is the deepest need of this person? But look, even if somebody has caused pain in their own life by something that they've done, you don't want to enable them to continue to do that, but you can still show them kindness in some way. You can still love them well. So that brother of yours who hasn't worked a job in six years and calls you again for money, you might decide, no, I'm not going to do this again because the Lord's prompted me not to enable him. But you can say this, no, Jim, I can't give you money, but can I take you out to dinner tonight? I'd just really like to know how you're doing. You just sit with me and talk to me. You see, you can still love people. You can do something kind for them. But frankly, most of us are just running through life so busy. I do it, I do it. I, I, you know, the Walmart can be a very difficult place for me. You know why? Because I go into Walmart and I'm like, Pastor Jeff, oh. I just came in to get some butter. And I'm going down the aisle in the beeline. Somebody says, Pastor Jeff, and I'm like, oh. God, I just want a butter. Can I just get the butter and get out? And you know, I'm wrong. Wrong so many times. Now look, I've, at times I have to let people know that I'm just a guy, I'm a bozo on the bus, and so I can't fix your marriage at a Walmart. I can't fix your marriage at all. And so, you know, one of the little techniques I got from a counselor friend was somebody who's, you know, I'm standing in a Walmart, and they're talking to me. I come up here, oh, Pastor Jeff, I need to ask you about my marriage. And I'm like, which toothpaste do you like the best? She said, just do that to show them that you're human, that you're just there to get toothpaste. So I've had to learn that, but I've also had to learn to listen to the Spirit. Why? Because there's times I walk into the Walmart, and somebody says, Pastor Jeff, and I go, oh, inside. And Jesus is saying, turn around, walk toward him, go. I had a young person in Walmart call out my name, I don't know, probably a year ago, and I remember it specifically because it was just from the Lord, and I did that little cringe thing inside, and I went, oh, I just came to get butter. And yet I turned around, and I said, hi, good to see you. I had this smile on my face, you know. And inside, I'm not feeling very smiley. But this guy says, look, can I just talk to you for a minute? I need you to pray for me. The Spirit of God just lit on me, and he said, you go. You do that, man. You do that right now. So I don't want to grieve the Spirit because I know what that feels like, and it feels like crud. I hate grieving the Spirit of God. So I just walked into it, and this guy starts sharing things with me, and I, I'm talking to him, and I'm loving, what, you know, I'm just loving the fact that he's sharing this with me right in the middle of Walmart. And then I look up, and there's like three of his buddies there. And you know what we do? We come together and lay hands on this guy in the middle of Walmart in the name of Jesus, and we're praying for him right there in the aisle. Glory to God. Glory to God. Right? So, look, I don't want to miss that stuff. I had another story with a guy in CVS knocked my socks off. You know, I don't know what it is in the grocery stores and the drug stores. Like, I'm running into people. And I just love what Jesus does, but I have to be listening to him. I have to also understand that I have limitations, and so do you. And so sometimes you have to face those limits and say, no, I can't be here for you in this way right now. 
And I'm going to pray for you. And can I ask you to do something? If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, can you stop and pray right there? You know why? The scripture says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Be quick to utter nothing before heaven because God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. I don't know about you, but if you say things like this, I'll pray for you and then you don't, doesn't that grieve your spirit? It grieves God's spirit inside of you. So you know the best way to not do that is just say when people say, can you pray for me? I say, we're going to pray right now. You see, we're going to pray right now. That's one of the things I'd encourage you to do. But we all have limitations and we have to understand how God is prompting us. This is not a formula. This is a relationship, and God will show you what you're supposed to do. So we got to see what people need, and we have to slow down in order for that to happen. The slower you go, the more that you'll see. We also must sympathize with people's pain. You see, when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion or pity. This guy was moved emotionally by this other guy's pain. Scripture says, carry one another burdens, and this way you're obeying the law of Christ. You must slow down to what, know what people need, but you must listen if you're going to connect with people's pain. You must learn to listen. I'm talking about really listening to people. I'm not talking about passive listening. I'm talking about first date listening. Guys, do you remember the first date? I mean, you, you primped yourself up pretty good, right? You even, you even smelled good. And you're having that first date at Chili's, and you're just like, oh, locked in. Oh, I'm listening, honey. Oh, everything. Oh, my gosh, I'm listening so hard. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You go home, and you're so exhausted because you listen so hard. I'm talking that's the kind of listening that we need to practice. Most people have to pay somebody $100 an hour to listen to them well. And i got to tell you the truth. Most people, they know you can't fix their pain. They just want somebody to understand them. They just want somebody to listen. You know why we don't listen to each other? One, the perception that time is short. Then again, it's busyness. I, I don't really have time. We're afraid that we won't be heard, spouses, married couples. I can't listen to you because then I won't get my turn. How about this? We can't really listen because we're reactively listening. We're forming rebuttals in our head while the other person's speaking. Honey, can I talk to you? Oh, my gosh, no. Honey, can I talk to you? That really hurt when you said that. Yeah, but you hurt me worse. See, there's this little bubble in our head that has all these rebuttals that we're saving up and we're thinking about defending ourselves rather than truly trying to understand. Listening to somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. Listening to somebody means you understand and you're willing to take the time to listen. We're also afraid to listen to someone else's pain because we're afraid it'll trigger our own. And we don't want to go there. And can I tell you something? Jesus Christ wants to take your hand and walk you right into the middle of your pain. And one of the best ways that he does that is through the pain of others. And we can comfort others with the, the comfort that we ourselves have received from Christ. That's the way it works. Look, sensitivity starts with your eyes, but sympathy goes into the heart. People need to be understood and validated. Most people here on planet Earth, they just want to know that someone gets them, that someone understands what's going on inside of them. They walk away from that relationship saying, that person really understands what I'm thinking and feeling, and I'm not crazy, I'm not alone, I'm not the only one on the planet that could possibly feel this way. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm not alone. When you listen to people, you help them know they're not alone. 
You're just there for them. See, again, Galatians 2 says, we carry one another's burdens, and this way we're obeying the law of Christ. So every time you share sorrows and troubles with someone and you help carry, you're sensitive and you're sympathetic, you listen and you look, you're obeying the law of Christ. So I must see their need and I must sympathize with their pain, but I have to seize the moment to help. This is called opportunity. Listen, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. In Galatians 6.10, when we have opportunity to help someone, we should do it, but we should give special attention to those in the family of God. Proverbs 3 says, never walk away from someone who deserves your help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. The good Samaritan was responsive. The good Samaritan took initiative. He went to him. Now look, somebody would say, well, I'd help my neighbor if they just come ask. No, you're supposed to go to them. That's how the church got screwed up for the longest time. You know why? We built buildings and we went, okay, people are going to come to us so they know the love of God. No, we have to go to people. That's what some of the beauty is in missional, local missional work, like Adopt-A-Block and the Dream Center. We're going to people. We're going to their neighborhoods. Karen and Alan Smith up in York and over here Larry Souter in, in Shrewsbury and over in New Freedom. These folks are going to where people live. Why? So they can initiate. True love is a verb. What's a verb? People are like, eh, I've been educated in grammar. It's an action word. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. It's action. And this guy was responsive. He took the initiative. Look, some of you are in marriages where you never take the initiative. Your spouse is always taking the initiative. Can I tell you something? That's a really lonely place to be. I don't know who you are, but if I'm talking to you right now, if the Lord's talking to you and you don't take initiative in your marriage, please listen to the Holy Spirit and take a step out and initiate with your spouse. Initiate with them in a talk, and however it is, just take the initiative, go to them. That person, can I be honest with you, if you're in a relationship where you don't initiate and the other person does all that, they're exhausted. They're exhausted from initiating. Love is a verb. He goes to him. Now look, he doesn't just go to him, but he uses what he has. This guy uses what he has. Where did he get these bandages? This guy more than likely was not carrying like a medical supply kit with him. Well, some are saying, well, he took his clothes, the guy's clothes, and he made him into bandages. No, he didn't. You know why? The guy didn't have any clothes. He was naked. You know what most scholars believe? He took his own clothes. He took off his own shirt. <laughs> he wrapped it around these guys' wound. You know, where's this oil coming from? Most people think it was the guy's lunch. I mean, I don't know. But where, he's, he's using what he has. He's, he's taking what he has. Some people think that they can only love when they get a certain amount of things. Can I tell you something? God is giving you everything you need to love people well today. Oh, I've got to get it just right. No, you don't. Invite your neighbor over for dinner. Oh, I've got to scrub the toilet for 20 minutes. No, you don't. Why? Other people have dirty toilets too. And you know what? If they see your toilet's dirtier than theirs, it'll help them feel better. If your house is dirtier than theirs, they'll go, oh, my house is cleaner. See, you're serving them. You're ministering to them. It's true. I'm in favor of scruffy hospitality. You know, when we, when we were growing up, we had family in the house all the time. People, neighbors, him in the house all the time. My mom would go, hey, you want a plate? Put a plate on for him. Put a plate on for him. Well, what are you having? Spaghetti. All right, you're going to eat that. Just eat spaghetti. You don't have to like, do anything. You, you, they eat what you eat. You know why? Because what they want is your presence. 
They want your love. They want your company. They need to see Jesus in you. So don't wait to get it together. Serve with what you have now. Love people with what you have now. This guy used what he had. He took the initiative. And guess what? He was being willing to be interrupted. He was willing to be interrupted. Think of the excuses this guy could have had. I'm just way too busy. I'm on my way to a sales presentation in Jericho. I got to be there on time. He could have said, I got my own problems. I'm out of work. I can't help anybody else. I'm just, this guy's probably dead. He looks mostly dead anyway. He's probably going to die anyway. He's helpless. He's hopeless. How many times have you said that with someone? I'm not going to help that person. Just, that guy's a flat-out jerk. The guy's just hopeless. That woman's hopeless. Why would I help her? She needs to help herself. These are all excuses why we don't want to be interrupted. Can I tell you something? Jesus is the master of blowing up your daytimer. I make plans for my days in the beginning of the week, and you know what Jesus does? He laughs. He goes, ha, 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 Jeff, he said, that's great, I'm in the planning, but you don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, more or less tomorrow. He said, I got plans for you that you can't even imagine. I'm going to rock your world. He said, but that's not going to fit into your daytimer. Are you willing to be interrupted for the cause of the kingdom? That's my question for you. Are you so tied to the things of this world? Your schedule usurps the spirit of God. Lord, have mercy. Whenever we have the opportunity to help anybody, we should do it, but we should give special attention to those in the family of God. Listen, whenever you have opportunity, remember earlier I had you circle a phrase and underlies it? It just so happened. It just so happened that a priest, can I tell you something? Nothing just happens in your life, child of God. Everything that comes to you is father-filtered. Everything. It's all controlled by God. All of it. It doesn't just happen. That's just a myth. These things come to you for, with purpose. You don't know what's going to happen the minute you walk out that door today. But if you pray, God, help me to see. Help me to sympathize. Help me to seize the opportunity to serve. And God, help me to spend whatever it takes. That's a hard one. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him into the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver, and he told him to take care of the man. He said, if the bill runs higher than that, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Can I tell you something? Love always costs. It always costs. It always requires sacrifice. And if you are so married to the things of this world that you can't give up what already belongs to God, can I tell you something? Your money is not your own. Can I tell you, your house is not your own. My house is not my own. My money is not my own. It all belongs to God. You're a steward. Let me tell you something. When you eject out of your earth suit, you are not taking any of it with you. And you know where it's going? To someone else. All that stuff is not eternal. But you know what is? God and people, period. The question is, will you invest in eternity? Love always comes at a cost. And if you really want to know what true love looks like, you have to look at the cross. Because Jesus was the one who knew exactly what we needed. He saw our true condition. 
He not only sympathized with our pain, but he became man and he felt every bit of our pain. He seized the opportunity because just at the right time he gave his life for us and he paid a cost that was beyond comprehension. He spilled his own blood for you and for me that we would enter back into relationship with him. He didn't stay at a distance. He wasn't just curious and uninvolved. He came close and he picked us up out of the muck and the mire, the slimy pit, and he bandaged our wounds, and he gave us a firm place to stand. One day, I'll call us home to be with him in heaven forever and ever and ever. That's the kind of Lord that we serve. Listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin and self-centeredness that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he paid the cost, he scorned his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Today we celebrate Jesus Christ and consider him through the symbol of communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. You know, Jesus left us this symbol. It's a sacrament. It's a holy time. And this time points to the cost that God was willing to pay for you and for me because of his great love for us. I ask Dan if you could come forward with these. As these are distributed today, I would like to ask that you take both cups, both the bottom and the top. The bottom cup has a cracker in it and the top one has the juice in it. I'd like you to hold them and we'll take them together at the right time. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for guiding us in a pathway of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, we ask now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to meet you in this place, to celebrate you, and to leave this place different. Thank you that you are the game changer. Thank you that you are the dream giver. Thank you that you are the one we can trust in. We pray this all in your precious name, the name above every name.